Well, happy Thanksgiving. How many of you intentionally wore green this morning? Well, so is it biblical to wear green? I mean, is it okay? Is it, is it permissible for a Protestant to go to a St. Pat's parade? Let, let me tell you why it is, why you probably uh, should identify. There's some things, you, and I know this is the offering, and I'm going to tie it all together. But a number of generations ago, about five, six, seven generations ago, our family my, on my dad's side were Scots. They, they were from Scotland. From Scotland went to Northern Ireland, Ulster, and then my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, James, immigrated from Ulster, Ireland, down to the United States, and then from the United, from, from the United States. From, from there, went down to Virginia, uh, from Virginia down with Daniel Boone and um, Daniel Boone and David Crockett. You know, they brought the Scots-Irish. So when you, when you immigrated from Northern Ireland, you came and you had to register what religion. So you didn't want to say you were Catholic from Ireland. So they, they came up with this phrase, no, I'm, I'm, I'm from Ireland, but I'm from Northern Ireland. I'm a Scots-Irish, not Scotch, that's a liquor, but a Scots-Irish. And uh, so I immigrated from there. And then, um, so we followed John Knox, and not, not the Irish, the Catholic Irish, but so they immigrated, and they followed Daniel Boone and, and all, Davy Crockett and all that from Virginia down through Alabama, that's a lot of where our relatives came from, and then down into Texas, who eventually fought the uh, Alamo, lost in the Alamo. And uh, where was I going? Oh, yeah, I'm tying this into the offering. So, but let me tell you, we don't have parades to Daniel Boone. We don't have parades for Davy Crockett. We don't have parades for the Scots-Irish. We don't have parades for John Knox. But we do have parades when people all over the United States celebrate St. Pat's Day. You know why? Because St. Pat, Patrick, from Ireland was a, a monk in the Catholic Church who was extremely generous, sensitive, caring, beneficent to the poor and to the underprivileged, whereas those in Scotland were horrible. So they all turned to John Knox Presbyterianism immediately. But those in Ireland love and adore St. Pat because of his generous heart. So on St. Pat's Day, I think the one thing Protestants can absolutely agree with is the generosity of somebody like a St. Pat, who absolutely loved the poor, gave everything he had to help people in need. So that's one way I think we can identify. And when that happens, the world around us sees us, as Philippians talks about, shine as stars. If we're stuck up, stodgy, selfish, we will not shine as a star. So let me pray, and uh, we'll have our time of offering. God, thank you. Thank you for this day that even though doctrinally we might not agree with somebody like St. Pac, but I'll tell you what, when it, when it comes to a, a generous heart and spirit, we certainly can. And I just pray for those of us who know you personally that, oh God, please just open up bowels of compassion within us so that we too would be generous, that we too 
uh, would be sensitive to those in great need. Help us now as we worship you with our tithes and with our offerings to celebrate this in Jesus' name. Amen. quaked before moved by the sound of his voice and seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard and through So long. 
Good morning. So we are in a study going through the book of Philippians. We are at the very end, okay? So this week, next week wraps it up, but this whole section really is one section. So I'm going to refer uh, just a little bit to the next one, but, the, but it all ties together beautifully. But what I want you to remember is the occasion. Where was the Apostle Paul when he wrote this letter? Do you remember? He was in prison. So do you think life was wonderful in prison? He was waiting for Nero to say, that's it, execution. Okay, so things were not good. He understood what suffering was all about. He talked about it earlier in uh, the book of Philippians. And life clearly is filled with a lot of stress and tension. And yet the Bible says that even in the midst of stress and tension and suffering, your life can be filled with, with joy uh, and with, with peace. And so when I look at this passage, what I think about immediately in my mind is like Paul being a, a physician, a doctor. Okay, and so he comes in, and the Church of Philippi is the patient. So you've seen these commercials on TV all the time. And they go something like this. Uh, feeling run down, feeling like you're out of energy, not sleeping well, experiencing a little pain here, a little bit there. Uh, well, I know what you want to do is you want to feel good, you want to feel healthy, uh, you, you want to be energetic and happy and vibrant. Well, if you do, if that's what you're feeling and this is where you want to go, here are some things you should do. You should exercise, you should eat well, uh, and take two of these pills, and you'll, you'll do so much better. Well, in a sense, what the Apostle Paul, as he is summarizing everything he's already covered in the book of Philippians, he's sort of, he's reminding us of some very, very key things that we should do. And so he uses imperatives here. These, these are commands, and a, a lot of commands, but they're all based upon not just gut it out, gut it out, gut it out, and you'll have joy and peace, but it's more like these are things that are possible because you are in Christ. You're in Christ. Um, and so what I would like for us to do is to read this portion out of Philippians. Let's all stand together. And it starts with two very difficult names that are pronounced a hundred different ways. And uh, so let me just, here's my take. I entreat uh, Euodia is how a lot of people might pronounce it. But really it's Yodi. The, the accent is on the I, Yodia. And uh, well, uh, a lot of people say Sintiki or uh, Suntuke, Suntuke, an accent in the middle, that middle syllable, Suntuke, Yodia, and Suntuke, okay? I entreat Yodia, Yodia, let's say it together. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Suntuke to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also, uh, I ask you also, true companion, 
Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is just saying, go ahead and have a seat. If you're experiencing a lot of the, the kinds of things that he sh certainly should be experiencing in prison, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, along with the effects of stress and anxiety. Here are six things that you should really do. Next week, we'll hear the next one, contentment, be content in all things. He says, but, you know, I'm going to give you power. You know, I can, you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So this, this isn't just some pop psychologist popping off a list. He's saying, it's because you're a Christian, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but if you really want joy, if you really want peace, if you really want to have and strengthen your relationship with God and with others, here's how you can start. And he's referred to these throughout the book already. So stress reliever number one, resolve conflict. He's already alluded to a lot of personal conflict throughout the book. There were those in chapter one who were very much uh, against Paul, who wanted to harm the Apostle Paul. He pled for the church to stay united. In chapter 2, he pled for the church to be in one accord. He said, look, it's be in one accord. Count other people as more important than yourself. Do things. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Stop questioning. That's all in chapter 2. Chapter 3, walk together as partners, as citizens of heaven. And then chapter 4, stand firm together in the Lord. And then there's now a direct appeal to these two ladies, these, these two believers, I entreat Eudea and I entreat Suntuke to agree in the Lord. And then he appeals for the church to come alongside and to help. Clement, other yoke fellows, you are believers. It's not like you're outside of the faith. It's not like you are those people who are, who are antagonizing me. It's not like you're the Roman guard who want to put me to death. It's not like you're the, the Judaizers who are trying to bring down the gospel. These are true believers in Jesus Christ. And so he says, I want you to agree in the Lord. So resolving conflict is not an option in the Christian life. If you don't want stress and anxiety in your life, you had better deal with personal kind of conflict, resolve this conflict. So twice Paul urges these two women. He says, agree in the Lord, or literally to be, be of the same mind, be of the same opinion, the same judgment. And again, these two ladies aren't troublemakers. It's not like they're arguing about doctrine in the church. They're prominent women. They're well-respected by the Philippian church. But he's commanding them. The way he deals with this is he commands them 
to live in harmony. And then he appeals for the rest of the church to come along and help them so that they can agree in the Lord. You remember earlier in Philippians chapter 2, he said this, and I think he's referring to, the, to this very specific occasion. He's saying, look, do all things without grumbling, without disputing, that you may be blameless, that you might be innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a very crooked, twi twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights. He's saying it's so important to do this because of your witness in the world. We want you to go into the world shining as a light. But if you're grumbling and complaining and murmuring and questioning and not getting along, there's not going to be any light. The crooked and twisted generation won't know the difference between me and thee. So he's saying, come on, true yoke fellows, true companions, let's help these two sisters agree in the Lord. So the church is called to lovingly and yet firmly deal with these kinds of conflicts. And there are a number of passages. You could write down a couple of them. Uh, you could write down Matthew chapter 5. Uh, that's one, 21 to 25. Matthew 18 is another one, which those two, Matthew 18, Matthew 5, basically what it's saying, if you have something against a brother, or on the other occasion, if a brother has something against you, it's always your responsibility to go to the other person and get it resolved. No matter if you're at fault or they're at fault, it's always your turn to go. So if you want to reduce stress, lower your anxiety level, if you want there to be some joy and some, some peace in your life, then start here. Resolve conflict, but then go on to the very next thing. He says, you need to start rejoicing in the Lord. And this joy in the Lord, the rejoicing in the Lord, is, is mentioned 17 times in this book. So he comes back to this reoccurring theme, uh, which is joy that is effervescing out of a life that is in Christ. So he says, rejoice. Again, command, command. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness this is how it happens. Let, let your reasonableness be known to everyone because uh, the Lord is at hand. I mean, that's that eternal perspective on life. So is it possible? Is it possible really to rejoice uh, again and again and again? Is that, is that possible? Well, the fact of the matter is um, most people, especially if you were sitting in prison waiting to be killed, uh, most people uh, wouldn't be enjoying life. Uh, most people might endure life, but maybe not enjoy life if they're in difficult situations. But instead, he's saying, um, your rejoicing should come out of a heart that is reasonable. So I looked up uh, that word reasonableness. I looked it up in Brown Driver Briggs. And some appropriate translations for that word would be, let your reasonableness be known. It would mean kind gentle, tolerant, courteous, fair, yielding. All of those would be appropriate translations of reasonableness. And that was the exact opposite of what's going on between Yodia and Suntuke. Uh, they weren't kind, gentle, tolerant, courteous, fair, yielding at all. Now, the fact of the matter is we see this command, uh, resolve conflict, rejoice in the Lord, and we go, wow, is that really? How could it be a command? Are you kidding me? Let, let me just say right up front, I am so thankful to God that it worked out that I got to preach this passage because 
I needed this message so bad. I have gone through this this morning. I get up, I mean, all week. I'm, you know, I'm griping about this, griping about that. You know, and, and I'm thinking, I, oh, God, help me, please, uh, to live this out because I want to shine. Uh, I, I don't want to be just, you know, a cup put over the light. I, I really want my life to reflect this to honestly reflect this. So even this morning, I get up, and I'm going, I look first looked out and see a little snow and go, oh, no. And then I, no, I, you know, I'm going to be happy. And I even took a picture of it, sent it out to the kids. Look what a beautiful snow. That was a miracle. But, <laughs> but, but I mean, you think, we have come through a, a very difficult year when you, when you really think about it. And you think of uh, just getting through Christmas and getting bills paid, you know, is enough. And then you end up on the fourth uh, most severe Iowa winter we've ever had on record, you know, the snow and the ice and, and all that, you know, all those kinds of things and, and flooding now that's taking place and income taxes right around the corner. Uh, there, there can be a lot of stress, but, but Paul says rejoicing is not an option. It's present, active, imperative. You guys, second person, plural, all of you, this isn't an option that you should consider. This is a command. So not to grumble or question or complain or dispute, uh, like in, in chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, but th the question is, how? How can we get through that? And I just thought, okay, so this is how I've been having to deal with this in my own life. I mean, number one, you need to admit it. God, it's, it's hard for me right now. Will you help? Will you help me? So I've got to admit it. I've got to accept it. Instead of blaming, blaming the weatherman. You know, I used to blame Denny Frary all the time. Instead of you don't blame, you, you accept it. You look. This is a key one. You've got to look for God's hand in it. You know, no matter. And that's just think of the Apostle Paul in jail. He had to look for God's hand in this. And I'll give you a couple of good passages to write next to that looking for God's hand. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18 would be to help you see God's hand in it. Or another one like with Job. I mean, look what Job went through. And yet he totally saw God's hand in the whole thing. That this, what he went through was from God. Job chapter 42, verse 11. And then it comes to the trusting. We're in Christ, so we trust a sovereign God the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the result of that is that we can begin to effervesce with joy, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. So if you want to reduce stress, lower your anxiety level, begin to experience this fruit of the Spirit, uh, joy being one, peace being one, increase your fellowship with God and with others, resolve conflict, Rejoice in all things. Third one, this is a tough one. Worry about nothing. Verse 6 goes, do not be anxious about anything. And I go, oh, Lord, that was hard for me. Don't be anxious about anything. The Amplified says, do not fret or have any anxiety. King James, be careful for nothing. That's a whole lot easier to, to just say it, to mouth it, because than to do it. Let me tell you, 
worry, anxiety, it is a killjoy. It is a major source of stress. And we tend, usually almost always, to expect the worst and to worry about everything. I was reading an article out of the Wall Street Journal, and it says we really are living in an age of anxiety. And they t in, a, in the article, it talked about, uh, it talked about macro worries and micro worries. You know, the macro worries would be, oh, I'm so upset about politics in the United States. I'm so upset about the environment. I'm so upset about the atrocities that are happening around the world or, or the environment or, or whatever. And then there are those micro worries, you know, worries like ice dams on your roof or, or leaks or flooding or sickness, thing, things like that, paying the bill, etc. So worry really then is assuming responsibility that God never intended for me to have. I mean, in a sense, you're just saying, okay, it's up to me, so I'm going I'm to worry about it, I'm going to stew about it. It's up to me, and I'm going to assume some responsibilities that God never intended me to have. That's sort of like, okay, I'm going to try and control the uncontrollable, uh, sort of like playing God in, in a sense. I love this study that was done by Dr. Walter Cabert. He was uh, from Atlanta. study was done a number of years ago, about 10 years ago or so. He did a lot of research on worry. And just some of the conclusions of a study were these. 40% of your worries never happen. 30% concern, concern the past. 12% are needless worries about your health. 10% are insignificant or petty issues. And, but 8% of your worries are what he would call a truly legitimate uh, concern. So you think about that, and I was thinking, wow, wow, 92% of worry are, are over things that will never happen or things you can't change anyway. 92% of it is that way. So worry tends to be sort of worthless. It can't change the past. It can't control the future. All it can do is mess you up right now. That's it. So worry really is, is a, a waste of energy. I mean, if you can do something about it, do it. Like, you know, I was concerned about some ice dams. So I could either sit there worrying about it, fretting about it. I could pay somebody to do it. Or I could just get on the roof and take care of it myself. And much to my wife's dismay, I got up on the roof and took care of it myself. Uh, but worry is really you're just stewing without doing. You're, you're not doing anything. But the Bible says don't worry about anything. Uh, unless you just think this is some pop psychology, just listen to what Jesus said. Uh, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, the NIV would translate it this way. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble for its own. So, you know, I looked at that and I thought, well, wow, you know what the definition of today is? Uh, today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. So why? In order to relieve stress, you've got to live one day at a time. Just live one day at a time. Tomorrow's going to take care of it. Live one day at a time. Trust God today. There, there's an old hymn. I mean, most people I talked to after the first service, I, th I think there was two people who heard, heard, heard of this. Now, again, when I left seminary, we started, Cheryl and I went and started this, this church in a little West Texas town. We had seven people. That's how we started it. Three years, we had 365 people trust Christ. But it was, 
it was a little western I mean everybody wore cowboy boots and cowboy hat everybody but me anyway you know just and and our our hymnal was this country western gospel hymnal that's what we sang out of. and my favorite song that I used to absolutely love to sing was one day at a time sweet Jesus anybody remember one day at a time yeah there are two of you <laughs> one day at a time sweet Jesus that's all I'm asking of you. Just give me the strength to do every day what I have to do. Yesterday's gone, sweet Jesus, and tomorrow will never be mine, may never be mine. Lord, help me today. Show me the way one day at a time. You can do a YouTube on it. It's pretty cool. If you like country and western, uh, you'll like it. Uh, but in order to relieve stress, you have got to live one day at a time. Don't be anxious. Uh, and again, who is saying this? Who is giving us that imperative, that command? It's a guy sitting in a cell block waiting his execution. Live one day at a time. Doesn't that make sense when you understand where the Apostle Paul is? How much more can it apply to us? So if we want to reduce stress, lower my anxiety level, have joy and peace, fellowship with God, fellowship with others, I've got to learn to resolve conflict, rejoice in the Lord, worry about nothing, but instead I've got to replace that worry with something very positive, and that is I need to begin to pray about everything. It's almost inevitable whenever God wants you to take something out of your life he gives you something far more positive to replace it with and that's it get rid of the anxiety get rid of the worry don't worry about it one day at a time replace it you pray about everything verse 6 but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God so Paul's saying look don't sit there stewing don't sit there and panic instead of panicking pray so what am I to pray for? Just the big things, some things? He said, no, you pray about everything. Don't think you're not being spiritual if you pray for things that are on your heart, you know, that maybe you wouldn't talk to somebody else about in church. That's why he says, let your request, your petitions. That means a very specific, detailed list of what's on your heart. Philip's version puts it this way. When you pray, tell God, every detail of your needs. That's the petition. Tell God every detail of your needs. Listen, if it's big enough to worry about, I'll guarantee you it is big enough to pray about. I used to love the story of Dr. Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary. He told the story about when he was a, a young professor at DTS. He had a, a son, a little, little boy. I, I knew him later on in life. But he said when his little boy was uh, in the house, they would have missionaries that would come and stay with them all the time. And they would always pray together around the table. And uh, so his little son would, would always pray, Jesus, please protect the fence in the backyard. Amen. And uh, a after they finished praying, the missionary was chuckling. He said, oh, that was so cute, your son, praying that Jesus would protect the fence in his backyard. And Howard Hendricks said, yeah, you don't understand. He said that fence that he was praying for in the backyard protects him from the biggest, meanest dog in the neighborhood right on the other side of that fence. 
Let me ask you, do you think God is interested in the fences in your life? I will guarantee it. That's why, and you can write this first down, 1 Peter 5, 7. Same, Paul's, we're talking about the same thing that Paul's talking about here. Casting all your anxieties on him because what? Because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The, uh, another translation, Jerusalem Bible says, unload, I love that, unload all your worries on him since he's looking after you. Unload him. That's what we need to do. We need to learn to unload our problems. You know, instead of worrying about them, take them to him and unload. Listen, that has meant so much to me over these last couple of weeks. You know, last five weeks. I've been working on this message for five weeks. So it's just unload. And I find myself grabbing them, worrying about them, anxious about them. No, I've got to unload them on the Lord. If you don't, I'll tell you what worry will do. Your cortisol level will just start to skyrocket and it will destroy your system. So unload it on the Lord. Why shouldn't you do that? I mean, you, th you think about God. Every single one of us are different. Every single one of us have different stresses and anxieties and worries. We're all, temperamentally, we're, we're very different, so different things affect different people, for sure. But, you know, God created you. God knows every hair on your head. He, he, they're, they're, they're numbered. They, he knows them. Every single person here has a different fingerprint. That's how he's created you. He knows you. Everybody has a different voice print. Every, everybody has a different iris. It, they're, they're all very different. So let me ask you, if God is that big, don't you think that he can take care of the details of your life. He's a God of detail. So unload them on Jesus. I love the Phillips version of 1 Peter 5, 7. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him. For you are his personal concern. Hear that? How, how personal that is. Throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him. You are his personal concern. You know, I look out today and I talk to so many of you. I look at my own life and see it. And, and I, I know, I know it, it does no good just to, to stew and not to cast. There is no problem that's too big for God's power or there's no problem that's too small for his concern. So pray about everything. Fifthly, thank God in all things, in everything with thanksgiving. You know, it, it's amazing. Um, who made us? God made us. You know, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, in Luke 2, 52, it talks about how, how um, Jesus grew you know, in, in mind and soul and spirit, you know, Together, I mean, every aspect of Jesus, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, he grew. Likewise, it's all tied together. If you were here in that series that I did on Fit for Life, I showed you how every element fits together. And, and this is so, so true. 
there, there are so many studies that have been done uh, to show that the healthiest human emotion is being thankful. Just being thankful. It's the most uh, healthy human emotion. It's shown that even with thankfulness, it can even increase your immunities. And so it, it makes so much sense. Be thankful in everything with thanksgiving. Do you, I don't know why, I'm sort of getting a little nostalgic thinking of the past, but do you remember that, that old song, Count Your Blessings? Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God... We just need to do that. Just that is what this is talking about. Being thankful, counting your, your blessings. Be a great exercise rather than... What do you take for granted anyway? I mean, do you take your health for granted? Do you take... You've got money in the bank. Do you just take that for granted? Eyesight, your education, your hearing, your intelligence, your family. Uh, give thanks. Don't take it for granted. Give thanks in all circumstances. First Thess 5.18 says, this is, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's always something to be grateful for. So if you want to reduce stress, lower your anxiety level, if you really want there to be that joy, that peace in your life, fellowship with God, etc., resolve conflict, rejoice in all things, worry about nothing, pray about everything, thank God in all things. And the, and the last one, I'm going to come back to verse 7 in, in just a few minutes. I'm, we'll be there. Finally, verse 8, finally, brother, think about and practice the right things. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, look at these eight words. True, honorable, just, whatever's pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, you too, you practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So it starts, if you really want this, this joy, this peace that he's talking about in this whole passage, fellowship with God, fellowship with others, then you have got to begin to change the way you think. I mean, just think about our mind itself. What an incredible creation. What a special gift from God. That you are capable of, of having over and, and storing over a hundred trillion thoughts. Now, that's amazing. But he's saying that what, what you put into your mind will impact and affect your life. And I'll tell you, when I see what people put into their minds, it's no surprise why they're undergoing so much stress and anxiety. But when, you, when you look at the books they read and, and the shows that they watch and, and the stuff that they surf on the Internet and fill their minds with, uh, it's, it's no wonder people are stressed out and depressed. I'll tell you what concerns me. It concerns me so much that there are so many people who are so concerned about pollution. And, and let me just say it, as a believer, you absolutely should be. Uh, we need to be stewards of our environment, stewards of that. But there are some people who are, who are just obsessed over pollution but don't even think twice about the way they pollute their minds. I'm all for cleaning up the environment. But I'd say, along with that, clean up your mind. That's what Paul would say right here. Um, 
Look what the average person gets up. They get up, they set the alarm, they get up, they, they listen to the radio a little bit, you know, and they listen to three murders, two wife batterings, four cases of child abuse, uh, break-ins, you know, things like that. Then they turn on, flip on Bad Morning America, then, you know, and listen to what's going on there. You know, you know and now look at the home front. The home front, you know, houses are flooding, um, murders, you know, policemen are shot, you know, other people are shot, you know, all this stuff. And, and then you get ready to go to work and you listen to talk radio on the way to work. That's really encouraging. Um, and then by the time, you know, Joe Christian finally gets to work, you know, here's somebody that he's working with, you know, express concern because he doesn't have enough money to pay his electric bill. And so you have no room for compassion. And your response to, to Joe Christian is, man, that's nothing. Man, it's, it's living hell out there. So why don't you just count your blessings? You know, we've, we've filled ourselves with so much junk, we can't even be compassionate with people. Then we come home from work, and we stop, we get some beanie weenies, we get some junk food, you know, we listen, we listen to more atrocities, uh, we, we turn on Netflix and we w watch some movie about a serial killer, uh, we surf on the internet a little bit more, and blue light, blue light, blue light, blue light, and then we get in the bed, and we, we try and sleep, we're stressed out, and uh, we come to church on Sunday, and we wonder, I don't know why I'm feeling so much stress, so much anxiety. So, Think about, practice the right things. What does the Bible say? Philippians 4, 8. Think about these things. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, excellent, admirable, praiseworthy. Think about these things. In other words, he's saying, look, this is a deliberate, very conscious choice that you're making. I mean, we should, have known, we should have known this from the wisest guy who ever lived before Jesus. Uh, Solomon said, uh, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It absolutely is going to impact your life. So let me ask you, what dominates your mind? What dominates your thoughts? What do you think about? Because whatever I think about is what you are becoming. If you don't like the way you're headed, change the way you think. What are you thinking about? Get into the Word of God. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, excellent, admirable, praiseworthy. So then Paul says, here are some things. You know, I'm wrapping up the, I'm wrapping up the, the letter. We've talked about all these things throughout the letter. I'm just driving it home. This thrust of joy, this thrust of peace, the God of peace, wants to give you peace. You know, here's some takeaways. Commands. Not options, commands. Here are commands. So what's going to happen if I do these things? So we skip verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep or guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, God's peace is a gift to you. God's, God's joy, God's peace, it can't be fabricated. It can't be duplicated. But how do, I get, how do I get that kind of joy and peace in the kind of world we're living in? How can I get that kind of joy and peace? And I'm in prison, Nero's prison, waiting to be executed. How can I get it? 